Welcome to the Life is a Ceremony podcast by Petiti Institute. We're inspired to share practical insights to engage everyday life as an evolutionary journey. Every moment is an opportunity to practice. If you would like to send us a question or a comment or a donation, you're welcome to visit www.paititi-institute.org. That's www.paititi-institute.org. In this episode, Roman Hannes and Emily Goffrey will discuss reconciling death on the path of healing. Instead of hoarding and stressing out, we can learn to share well-being. In the face of inevitability and crisis, we can remember our essential humanity. Death is here to teach us that we can come out of this illusion of separation and be stronger together. Hello friends, this is Roman and Emily coming to you from the Paititi Institute. And today the topic on our Facebook Live, Life as a Ceremony podcast is Reconciling Death on the Path of Healing. And I feel a little bit like a dead man talking right now. And that's good because that's the topic that we are on. So a little bit on the topic today, the topic of death on the path of healing and how to reconcile it. Something that has been coming up to me lately, just watching the whole turmoil happening in the world and many different known spiritual teachers are just talking about maintaining hope and trying to maintain a bright outlook and we're gonna survive this and we're gonna move through this all and something that has been coming up to me watching all of those famous spiritual teachers that are just selling hope basically is that in my experience facing death is inevitable on the path of transformation, on the path of healing, on the path of dealing with challenges in life. And in the Amazonian tradition that uh, I have been engaging in for the past two decades, that's also a very essential facet of that tradition, which is to face death, to reconcile with one's own inevitable end. And it doesn't have to be so somber and it doesn't have to be so sad as we see in the Mexican tradition we are right now in Mexico. There is this very bright connection with death. The death is honored. The death is seen as a reminder to be alive more fully than ever. And this situation that is happening right now in the world is like a small death. me. It's a small death of our daily habits, of our daily routines, of our daily commotions. It's an interruption in our cycle. And I find that it's necessary to acknowledge that death, to honor that death, so that rebirth can happen. I'll let Emily reflect a little bit on this topic. Yeah, well, I can definitely relate to the small deaths happening in my life every day, especially during this quarantine period and finding myself stuck here in Mexico and every day coming up with new expectations and ideas of how I'm going to get out of this situation. And then some new piece of information comes through and kind of uh, smashes 
my expectations. And it's like this death of a certain fantasy or concept or idea, just a way I see things working out in the end for me somehow. And it's bringing me back to the moment um, in a way, bringing me back to being alive instead of wasting my energy somewhere else. But I'm curious how you see this, um, you know, small death happening on a personal, individual level and then on the global scale as well. Mm. Thank you, Emily. Yeah, I find that it's this uh, discontinuity and uh, learning how to face it in our lives rather than escaping it. And uh, that's what's happening on an individual and also collective level. I've been really also affected by the herd mentality. And everyone are finding all kinds of different reasons to kick and scream and not to let go and not to open to the possibilities that are here. And every day there are new conspiracy theories that are coming up. And uh, there is, uh, oh, what about this? And what about that? And we are doomed. Yes, we are all going to die. I think it's important to understand that. That uh, inevitably, all of us are going to die. And it's better to reconcile it sooner than uh, to have it come in the last moment and there has been no preparation whatsoever, which uh, can be very terrifying in that moment. And so, yeah, all of those conspiracies, uh, they point to actually the fact of life, that life and death go hand in hand. There is this expression that I really love, is that uh, death is uh, always in awe of a beautiful life or life well lived. And life is always expressing its utmost meaning and beauty in the face of death. They go hand in hand, life and death, and ignoring death, we are not truly living. We become zombies that are not fully living our lives if we ignore death. And so this is the topic of death, and to really honor death, to have this dance between life and death that makes this existence meaningful. And also to see that, okay, it's inevitable, sooner or later we'll all have to go through it. So how about we live fully right now? How about we can reconcile all those petty differences and stop living in paranoia and panic and actually find inner peace? Because there is finality to our lives. Because our lives are not going to extend indefinitely. We can truly appreciate every moment. We can make every moment count. And so what's happening right now in the world is that there is this disruption of the system. And people are trying to find a scapegoat for their own dissatisfaction, for their own personal misery in the collective situation. And that only makes it worse from my perspective. There's this quote that uh, I recently came to by Carl Jung that uh, masses are always breeding psychic epidemics. And I find that, yeah, to not be just a drop of water in the ocean, 
but instead it's up to each one of us to be an ocean in a drop, to make a difference through our own lives and how we choose to experience this situation that makes all the difference in the world. Mm. That's something that I find meaningful. Yeah, I've also been just witnessing this process and contemplating the relationship that you're talking about between life and death simultaneously feeding each other in a reciprocal way. And um, it's brought up this memory of a, a friend of mine, a close friend that I had, and he was given the name life in Nepali, it's Jivan which means life, and then um, he passed away. And I've been remembering this process of grieving that has been continuous around that situation. And at the same time, it's his death that has sparked a certain inspiration in my own life to really live fully, almost like I want to do it for that person um, who's passed away or for you know, the greater benefit in a way to honor. And, and I see that his death is feeding so many other lives and the actual like embodiment of life. Mm. That's a big one for me also. And in many ancient traditions, we can see how it's recognized that the individual continues to live in the hearts of all those that they have touched in their life. And this has to do with the dream language perspective that we work with, with the evolutionary language that we are all a part of. Each one of us is a crystallized thought of the Great Spirit. And this evolutionary language, those essential qualities that relate to being human, how willing are we to embody those qualities while we are alive and to really make our lives meaningful and beneficial to others. And then in that way we can continue to be a part of this greater whole. And uh, this is definitely something that I often come back to in my own experience of life, how meaningfully I live this experience. And in my own experience in the Amazon rainforest uh, during the time of my life next to the indigenous people living alongside with them and seeing how we are all connected, we are all interconnected and how I have to die to my personality construct, so to speak, in order to really extend myself to others. I have to get out of this survival mentality and instead recognize those essential human qualities that I can share with people that I love around me. And then to share love, to share peace, to share presence and openness, to share the heart is something that cannot be done if I'm in this fear-based mentality and very self-absorbed about my own limited existence that will inevitably come to an end. And so then to really open my heart in that way. And there have been many cases 
throughout human history and the story of uh, Viktor Frankl also has been coming to me lately who is a Holocaust survivor and in the most horrific circumstances he chose love over hatred and fear in the face of death. Now, this is the only sane choice that I can think of in the face of death. Otherwise, that's just going to make it more terrible and not just for myself, but for people around me who I love. We can see in many ancient traditions here in Mexico and in Peru and also in the Tibetan tradition, it's considered that we have to come to people who are dying and we have to come together for people who are dead in a joyful mood. Not in a mood of somber and uh, this resentment and grief that is just tearing our soul apart, but to really celebrate people's lives, to share that lightheartedness. In the Tibetan tradition, it's considered that when somebody is dying, then people are only allowed to come and meet them and share presence with those who are dying when they're in a good mood. Otherwise, it's considered to be the most detrimental for the individual's passing. So to actually connect with that essence of humanity, with the essence of our true nature, which is unconditional love. That's what these traditions are pointing to. And of course, it's up to each one of us to verify that through our experience. Why does love feel so good? Because it's true. Because each one of us knows that from the time that we were in the mother's womb. That is the most essential nourishment for our being. Sometimes more essential than food that we eat. And so then to recognize that and to learn to embody that in the face of impermanence. This right now, what we are experiencing in the world, is a great example of impermanence and uncertainty. And it's one of those examples that can prepare us for the ultimate uncertainty and impermanence, which is death. So the more that we can actually practice, starting from small situations where we have this freak control grasp coming up, and then learning how to deal with smaller situations and then gradually prepare ourselves for the most uncertain experience of our lives. And if we don't prepare and if we get really grumpy and stressed out and irritated with small examples of change and uncertainty, then what will happen in the face of the actual physical death? So this is something that I've been contemplating on and seeing how, yeah, I don't want to just put a band-aid on it. I don't want to just say, oh, yeah, everything is going to work out. Everything is going to be great. Everything is going to return to normal. Normal is death. That's what normal to me is. When there is no purpose, no meaning, 
and there's just this zombie existence just going through the hamster wheel. To me, that's death. And so then to have an opportunity to be alive a little bit more, and I see that this is that opportunity that is happening in the world right now. Thanks. Yeah, I can definitely relate to just on a daily level with the little um, life practices of not getting my way or meeting, you know, certain situations of impermanence and change um, with this very habitual, grumpy, irritated attitude and see, seeing that that's the practice that I have these opportunities in my life to work with. Um, and I actually find myself focusing a lot on the somberness of change, um, which I see reflected in the media too right now, especially with the global situation. There's so much focus on like the, the death tolls and um, the political unrest or things like that. And I, I wonder on the flip side of what is crumbling, what you see is also coming to life and blossoming through this process. Mm. I see that uh, what is happening is an opportunity, the crisis as an opportunity. And I see that uh, within everything that is happening, this disruption of routine. And there is this just instinctual, habitual grasping to try to go back to normal. Right, again, this normal that is just a setting on a wash machine. Okay, just let's go back to the normal hamster wheel mm -hmm. where we are not alive, where we can just uh, rest in this illusion of security that the world is providing. And the opportunity here is to actually be an individual, to wake up as a drop, as an ocean in a drop, to really wake up in that way and to see life in a more meaningful approach. And how can we learn to step out of our habitual selves and really awaken that impulse for evolution, being useful to the greater whole, right? No one can help everyone, but everyone can help someone. Mm -hmm. And this is what's happening right now to me, this situation is an opportunity. Crisis is an opportunity. In uh, the Chinese language, the same word that stands for crisis is the word that stands for opportunity. And then <clears throat> it's up to each one of us to see, okay, instead of just uh, clinging and grasping and getting upset and irritated and bored out of our minds, how can we really take this situation to heart and awaken our heart's calling? and uh, really re-examine our lives and see what this life is about. This is that opportunity to reflect. In the Amazonian tradition, there are the ceremonies of ayahuasca that have been scientifically studied, and the neuroscience has established that the same effects that happen in the brain during the ayahuasca ceremony are the same effects that are happening when someone is dying physically. And also very similar when somebody is being born the same neurological readings that take place. And uh, when I had those experiences in the Amazon, 
and some very strong experiences where these traditions, they are called death and rebirth, where there is no doubt in my mind that I'm dying and every cell in my being is telling me that and I'm just being obliterated. And in those situations, in the face of death, my whole life would flash before my eyes. And those were the moments of my greatest reconciliation. Suddenly the routine of who I am is disrupted. This personality construct, all of my likes and dislikes and the way I like things to be and the way I like to act and behave, everything gets disrupted and there's nothing that I can hold on to. There's nothing that I can cling on to. And in those moments, the greatest reconciliation has come to me in terms of what I find really valuable in life, what I find meaningful. All of those things that I usually run after and get irritated and upset at, they all become meaningless in the face of inevitable death. And what is meaningful is how much I loved, how much I allowed myself to be loved, how much I opened myself to people, how much I have actually been alive and vulnerable and open and exposing my tender heart to myself and others. And then through that connection, in those situations where death was ripping me apart, then I would find this deep inner peace suddenly. I would find this essential humanity that is the only thing that is not bound by change. Everything is changing except the heart, the heart-centered awareness that can allow the change to take place, that can open to change. And so right now, this is a great teaching of impermanence, teaching of change, and simultaneously with change comes transformation. In nature, nothing disappears. Everything is transformed. That's the law of nature. And so then, if I can release that resistance to change, I can also allow for transformation to come into life and to awaken the potential of who each one of us is and to see how interconnected we all are in our struggles and also in our deep knowing of that immutable truth in our lives. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense to me in a way where, like you mentioned, so many cultures um, in a way can mourn death and also celebrate death at the same time as this portal for something new and fresh and alive um, to sprout forth from. Mm. Very much so. It's this... Uh death of the form that allows the essence to be embodied, that allows the essence to be shared, to be liberated from the confines of separate existence. And so then to see how, yeah, who I am is not just this limited form, this body, but who I am is everything that I appreciate and love about people around me. And 
I can open up to that and I can honor that and be in support of that. There is uh, a lot of research that is happening in quantum physics uh, nowadays and also the studies, the neuroscience, neuropsychology, the studies of the brain functioning that recognize that uh, the brain is just a radio station. It's not the radio. The radio station may deteriorate, but the essence of who we are is being transmitted continuously. It has to do with this pure space of heart-centered awareness. And each one of us can tap in into that and recognize that there is more to life than just this instinctual grasping and scarcity mentality and animalistic survival. That's what makes us human, is to come out of that animalistic survival mode. And then that's how our civilization has evolved. That's how we came out of the Stone Age, is by actually opening up to that unconditional love that is the essence of our nature. To have the capacity to recognize that is what differentiates us from animals. And so this is really what I see this situation is bringing us to, that we don't have to fight over supplies and we don't have to stock up and just accumulate and hoard more than we need to. Instead, we can learn to share in the face of inevitability, in the face of crisis, we can remember our essential humanity. And that's what death is here to teach us about. How we can be stronger together. We can come out of this separate illusion that we have been indoctrinated with. Mm. Yeah, I was participating in a virtual yoga class the other morning with our dear sister Janelle. And she brought this reflection, it's a quote from Pema Chodron that, that asks, um, you know, if death is certain and the time of death is uncertain, then what's really important? And I've been sitting with that and feeling like, you know, all the small deaths that I've been experiencing on the level of just breaking down my ego during this quarantine, um, keeps bringing me back to that question, like, what is really important? What is my purpose here in this life? I'm alive right now, and I want to, you know, take that precious opportunity and do something beneficial with it. And so I can see that death, if I let it in and open up to death itself, it can um, inspire me to really live fully. Hmm. That's definitely a good question to reflect on. I find that, yeah, th death is not what makes anyone special. The fact that we are going to die. Pain is not what makes us special. We all deal with pains. This human body is designed to feel pain. Sickness is not what makes us special. We are discovering that in the world right now. Suddenly, it's the great equalizer. It doesn't matter the status of our lives. Mm. So, 
in the face of all of that, old age, all of those things, in the face of that, then what is essential? What is that essence that allows us to really spark up and be alive and uh, respond to the calling of our heart on an individual level? And so we can really reflect on that and see that uh, it's not the specialness, but it's the willingness to extend our heart, to share our essence in the face of inevitability. Not trying to avoid it or pretend like it's not going to happen to me, death is always something that happens to everyone else, but to come to terms with it. Okay, if I die right now, and it can happen at any given moment, Nobody gave us a warranty when we were born how long we are going to live. That's non-existent. And so if death can happen at any moment, then how can I live fully in any given moment so that if I die in that moment, there will be no regrets? I can die knowing that I lived my life fully, that I have followed the calling of the heart. And that is something that also, I find very meaningful. I find that that in itself can bring peace and contentment to my heart. Just reflecting on that and uh, coming out of this um, immortal face mask. You know, I'm not saying not to wear the face masks, but uh, not to do it with this paranoia and panic and this fear, but uh, to actually see that, yeah, I don't have to live in this illusion of immortality, which actually makes life quite miserable. Because a lot of energy has to go into keep patching all the holes that are showing me that I am aging, that I am dying, inevitably. And instead to really savor every moment, to really appreciate knowing that it's bound to break. I can really appreciate this body, this existence, because then it's a vessel of meaningful existence. Otherwise, it doesn't matter if I preserve this body to perfection. By the time I'm going to die, I haven't lived fully. This vessel is not meaningful at all. So this is a good entry into the topic. And so right now we want to open this topic for questions and reflections. And so if anyone has some insights, reflections, questions, perspectives to share for the sake of uh, the greater good, please write it in the comments and then Cynthia will read it to us. Cynthia is also here. Hopefully you guys can hear me yeah. over here. <laughs> um, okay, this is one question from Yaeli. Um, she says, I'm so grateful for this topic. Can you talk a little bit about the form which exerts such a strong influence in our day-to-day -day life that really doesn't want this, doesn't want death, and how we get out of seeing, seeing the seeming struggle between small self and big self? Mm. That's a great question. And I find that uh, it's inevitable. This is so ingrained in uh, the mind to resist change, 
to avoid uncertainty. And I find that it's part of this kind of animalistic tendency that to a certain degree is useful. But then when it starts to control our lives, then uh, that brings nothing but misery. And so, of course, there is a sense of self-preservation in each of our organisms, in this human body, that uh, we have to honor, we have to live this life meaningfully, we have to take care of this vessel. But if all we do is taking care of the vessel without really reflecting on what is that essence that the vessel is carrying, then that becomes meaningless. So there is that balance. Of course, if a truck is moving towards me, I have this fear that helps me to jump out of the truck's way to survive. But then if I keep carrying that fear every step of the way in my life, even when the truck is not there, then I'm not honoring the heart essence, the heart wisdom. And so, yeah, in certain situations, to a certain degree, it's helpful. And at the same time, there has to be a balance in life, I find. Where, yeah, there is this self-preservation where I take care of myself, I eat healthy, I do exercise and breathe fresh air and make sure that I don't get uh, trampled over by the screaming masses. And at the same time, I dedicate this vessel to something that is greater. I make sure that most of my life, I can continue to be reminded of the wisdom of the heart. And not just live in this survival scarcity mentality. So yeah, it's good to take care of oneself but then to really also open the heart and see that I can only take care of myself if there is a greater purpose and meaning. Then I can do that not just for my own sake. And so I find there is that connection where if I just do it for myself, I don't tend to take care of myself so well. I can say that honestly. But if I see that my life can be meaningful to people in, uh, in my life, to other people that are dear to me, then I tend to take care of myself a lot more and make my life a lot more meaningful. And that also has to do with this situation right now in the world where people are living in uncertainty and fear and they don't, they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so do I choose to add to that? Okay, let's add more fear and paranoia. I'm going to come up with a new conspiracy theory. <laughs> or I can choose to contribute some peace of mind and a different perspective into the situation that actually invites each individual to reconcile with themselves, to make choices for themselves. It's up to each one of us to think for ourselves and not let others do it for us. And then see, okay, what is meaningful right now in my life? With all the craziness that is going on, there are so many excuses to be disturbed. And yet, how can each one of us make that choice? Intentionally and clearly. So that's what I see in that regard.
Mm. Thank you, Ellie. Another question? Mm -hmm. Unless Emily wants to add. I can share a little because I relate to your question, like, and the struggle between the little self and the higher self. And where I'm at with that is I need to keep making aspirations to open up to be able to be of benefit to the greater organism. And then I get to see all the ways in my daily life where I'm pretty much just focusing on myself most of the time. And where I need to train myself to have more spaciousness in my reactions so that I can actually open up to the space and really see what's happening and, and then be of service, especially to the people that I find myself in quarantine with. Um, and then beyond that, <laughs> it's a process. We are working through it. <laughs> question is from Kamal. said, with these small deaths of the individual self to be in a greater benefit for all, there are situations that sen which sometimes nudge or sometimes push us to have these small deaths, such as confrontation with another person or a global pandemic. If there are aspects of self that we know that may be better left dead, is there a way we can consciously assist these aspects of self to die? Mm. That's also a good question, and I find it relevant to the previous question, where there are many reminders. Life itself is the greatest teacher, I find. And life itself is unpredictable. And every moment is unlike any other before it. Some more subtly so, and some are uh, very obviously so. And so then, to make that choice, okay, I can be more present and more aware in my life and so that, uh, I seek success. Yeah. So then there are all of those different ways that I can choose to recognize and then practice in my life. How can I let go a little bit more and a little bit more and not to have such a rigid resistance and personality, this fixed identity of how I want things to be only a certain way. And if it's not that way, then a whole hell breaks loose. And I throw a hissy fit. And so then instead, how can I make this personality more fluid, more adaptive to the circumstances where I don't just go nuts wherever things don't happen in the right way? what I think and so then of course yeah there is a certain degree of comfort is essential in life but then if all I live for is the comfort's sake then comfort makes us weak without the challenges in our lives without responding to the call of evolution then we become weak there is nothing that trains us, that teaches us how to be more resilient, more persevering, more patient, how to awaken all of those essential human qualities and to apply ourselves, apply our spirit to shine in the face of adversity. So definitely this is a choice that each one of us can make 
And right now this situation is a perfect opportunity for that. Because within this greater disruption of the collective, there is a disruption on an individual level. There is this death that is occurring to each one of us on a level of routine, what we are used to in life, how we want things to be, how we want to just space out and wait until it ends, how we just uh, want someone else to solve our problems for us, instead of responding to that call more consciously, and then seeing how actually this whole routine that I've been living in my life was a facade. It was meant to cover the issues that I never wanted to face. And now that it's over, now I have a choice. I can actually get to know all of my blind spots. I get to know all of the weaknesses, all of those unresolved traumas of the past that start to come to the surface. And I get to be with that. I get to test my heart's capacity for unconditional love in the face of adversity. And so this is something that um, I see to be meaningful, not to avoid the issues, not to avoid the situations and hide from problems, but to see that all of those issues and problems are an invitation to reconcile with oneself, to come to terms with oneself, to find greater inner peace with oneself, so that it's possible to move on meaningfully in life. Yeah, I have a little question related to that, because on this path of healing, I've had times in my life where I think that I've let certain aspects of my conditioned, limited self die away, and then only to find them come back with greater force, almost like these habits and patterns just come back into my life, and I see that... I. I thought they were dead, but they've been resurrected. Mm -hmm. And so my question is around this global situation as, um, as maybe the quarantines or borders ease up their regulations and we are offered an opportunity to go back to normal, like how to bring this new sense of possibility into that and not just let Mm. my habits, you know, take over and go mm -hmm. back into a normal way of being. Mm. Definitely. That's again, that's a choice that it's up to each individual to make. Am I willing to start noticing the more subtle expressions of that inevitability of the resistance to change? Or I have to keep waiting for the big knocks of the spirit? those big shake-ups and wake-up calls that tend to happen in life, with death being the biggest one, of course. But it's the choice that each one, how long do we have to keep going through it? Mm. And then uh, to make that choice, to notice that, and uh, also to see how great all of those issues keep coming back into my life. How amazing is that? If I can really see them as reminders. Mm -hmm. If I, in, instead of ignoring them and thinking that, oh, my life is miserable and everyone else's life is great. So to have this illusion that there is life that is possible without problems. 
this is a very widespread illusion in today's world. And then instead of thinking that actually seeing that problems are part of life, all of those issues, they are part of life and I have to honor them and see that they also have their wisdom. Death has a lot of wisdom. Death is a great advisor. And so then if I can see that all of those issues, they keep coming back, they keep being resurrected, that means that I am reminded to continue training, to continue learning how to be more adaptive, how to not be so rigid, how to release all those stale concepts and ideas that prevent the heart from opening. And so then this has to do with the life itself that is full of all kinds of things. And they don't have to contradict each other. It's not like I'm either smiling and everything is great or everything is going to hell. Everything can be going to hell and I can be smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Simultaneously. It's a choice that each one of us can make. And not just a smile to, to just uh, dismiss it. But uh, they say in Spanish to, to give uh, a good face to bad luck. It's a practice, it's an attitude that we can cultivate in life to engage with adversity, with challenges, with problems in our lives with a good attitude so that we can uplift each other in the face of that. Thank you. Thanks, Kamal. Big smile to you. <laughs> Okay. And um, another question from Carlos. Mm -hmm. um, it says, I have a question about the subconscious self as it relates to Jung and the conscious self. Are we living in a dream world manifested and directed by ego? Is our goal to collapse these concepts of collective subconscious, personal subconscious and consciousness into a unified conscious way? Mm, great question. So... The ego, I find that the ego is not the enemy here. The ego is this personality construct uh, that is necessary to engage with life. Without the ego, it's not possible to talk, not possible to walk, not possible to eat. So it's not about the destruction of the ego, in my experience, working with these traditions, but it's about the transformation of it. So instead of the conditioned ego, because the conditioned ego is basically this personality that is conditioned by the circumstances of my life. Because I've never been able to process what has happened to me, it continuously influences me. So it's not that the ego is controlling my life, but it's the unwillingness to face the issues in my life that is controlling me. I'm trying to avoid and escape from the issues in my life and because of that they are always deciding my next step because every step has to consider this issue that I don't want to face. So then to be free I have to face the issues, I have to face the inevitability, I have to face the uncertainty, the insecurity and impermanence so that the choices in my life are not dictated by my ignorance that's really what is controlling our lives. It's just not knowing any better and not even wanting to know sometimes. 
So then the subconsciousness is related to the unprocessed content of my life. Situations that I don't want to fully look at. Experiences, emotions, feelings, reactions, patterns of behavior that I engage in that I would rather just automatically let them run their course. And then it's a vicious cycle. So that's really what's controlling our lives. These fears that we don't want to face. The problems that we want to blame on some other situations or people or whatever. That's really what's controlling our lives. This also has to do with this death of conditioning. Okay, it's up to each one of us to make that choice. I don't want to keep running. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I really want to see what it's about. I'm going to be with what bothers me. And I'm not going to make it wrong. But I'm going to approach it as an honorable opponent and learn from it. Right? There's this ancient Eastern expression from Sun Tzu, the art of war, where he says basically... Your greatest enemy is your greatest teacher. Because your greatest enemy can really point you to all of your blind spots. And can show you where you have to mature and learn and grow up. And it's like that with all of the issues that are keep coming up in our lives. Life itself is the greatest teacher because it's unpredictable. And then it teaches us how to get out of our comfort zone and how to open our hearts more and recognize that only constant is change and then the only thing that survives change is this open-hearted presence and it's up to each one of us to to train in that regard you know i've heard death referred to as like a shadow realm but in this way, it seems like it could be an illuminator. Hmm. There is no light without a shadow. That's another law of nature. And of course, yeah, this shadow is the unknown. Okay, it, there is this veil. I don't know what's going to happen be, behind that veil. There is that uncertainty. And there doesn't have to be fear of uncertainty. That's something that we have to train ourselves, that we can train ourselves in, not to fear the unknown, but uh, to approach the unknown as a mystery of love. Mm -hmm. How to be in love with the mystery. And then to engage in life in that way, where, yeah, the shadow and the light, without the shadow, life would have no meaning. Those are the complementary opposites of the universe. And so to, to really honor that, to really honor the shadow so that life can be fully lived, so that the light can be fully appreciated. Mm -hmm. One last question. Yeah, we can take another one. Thanks, Carlos. Thank you, Carlos. Mm -hmm. um, from Alex. What are the differences between someone who lives in fear of death and someone who lives in greater acceptance of death? And why does the experience of um, 
some sort of death during ayahuasca ceremony or other mystical experience seemed to shift one into greater acceptance of death. Mm. Hmm, that's a good one. Well, the difference, I think it's quite clear between uh, living in fear and living in love. I think that what happens in the indigenous ceremonies, that uh, pattern death, again, it has to do with this uh, coming out of this uh, personality bubble, of this conditioned personality, that uh, I, this is who I am, this is what exists, and I don't want to experience anything else. I'm comfortable here, even if it's miserable, there is a certain comfort to it. To that misery because I don't have to deal with something else. I don't have to come out of my shell, so to speak, this familiar shell. And then, of course, that shell is useful to a degree as well. There is wisdom to it. It's the wisdom of the mother's womb. Yeah, the mother's safe and nurturing and comfortable. And yet the wisdom of nature is to be birthed out of that womb. And so this conditioning, this scarcity mentality, this indulgence and comfort, they are also useful to a degree because they prepare us to be born. They can be useful to a degree in a way where I get sick and tired of being sick and tired and then I have to be birthed out of it. Okay, I've been trying to avoid... Um, the issues in my life and I've done everything possible and I see that it's not working. So then I can try something else instead of keep trying to do the same thing and expecting a different result. But I have to do that, right, in order to discover that it's not working so that then I can be birthed out of it. And so to come out of this fixed personality pattern I have to first give it a try and uh, see, okay, is that really what I want to live for? Is that really what brings me fulfillment and joy in life? And then I give it a try and I see that it's not. And then uh, that's not really motivating me anymore. So I think that it has to do with that, that it's this journey of liberation and then Every time that all of my rigid, very embedded ways and habits get eliminated, get broken down, I feel a lot better. But I often do have this momentum of resistance. Even though I understand that it's not good for me, I can still go through this grumpy period. But little by little, I can have this deeper insight that uh, it's okay that yeah there is this screaming capricious child in me and i can be more of a firm and loving parent i'm learning that with my child and to maintain healthy boundaries so that that birth of an individual so that birth of a more free way of approaching life can happen can be facilitated So, yeah, it's death and rebirth. Without breakdown, there is no breakthrough. Without death, there is no rebirth. And every situation that we experience where there is resistance 
where this uh, there is insecurity, where there is uncertainty and impermanence, is like a small death that can prepare us to be more and more free and live our lives in a more meaningful and purposeful and joyful way. And the joy here is not about pleasure. I think that's also important to make a difference in, where the joy here is about the joy of the freedom to experience everything fully, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. And it's this joy that is found in the fearless freedom of love that our heart is capable of. So I think that's our little contribution to the collective whole and uh, very much I invite everyone to keep reflecting, to keep living your life meaningfully and to keep contributing to the awakening of our shared true nature, of our shared capacity to engage with uncertainty and change and awaken each of our highest potential and then to contribute that together in a way where we can rejoice in each other's presence, where we can find solace, where we can find refuge in our shared heart, in this meaning of life. Thanks, everybody. Much gratitude to all of you. Our lives would not be the same without you, and it is our collective intention and effort to really be free to be free human beings, especially not controlled by our own minds, but leaded by our hearts. Much gratitude, be well. The fate of the world depends on that. Thank you. Here's Cynthia. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Great okay. to have you all with us. Okay, much love. Take care. Thank you for joining us. If you have found value in what we have shared, we welcome donations in order to continue this service. To make a donation or to ask a question, visit our website at www.paititi-institute.org. That's www.paititi-institute.org. May all beings be happy and free.